five, four, three, <laughs> two. It's probably going to say that we're live on your end, and it probably says that we're live on my end, but there's always a few seconds before it actually it already, kicks in. It already so, says live. For me. Yeah, yeah, yeah it does. Yeah, it does. It tends to do that. It's a bit apprehensive. Uh, oh, there you go. Nah, yeah, we are. We are live now. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome to VUX World, where I'm kind of on my own. Well, not on my own. I'm with Frank. Hello, Frank. What's going on, Keith? Yeah, it's not bad, it's not bad. But in terms of hosting, I'm on my own today. Dustin can't make uh, this one. Dustin's having a baby soon, and he has had a scan rearranged for today. So uh, flying solo in the in the hosting seat, but uh, I am absolutely over the moon to be joined by CEO of Speakeasy AI, Frank Schneider, who is joining us for the second time returning. So welcome back, Frank. I am so privileged and honored to be invited back for a second time. I can't even tell you. Uh, although there was no rap intro, <laughs> so the bars changed a little bit. That's you, you true. Didn't some bars for me, but it was still. I'm still happy to be here. Thank you. <laughs> that is very true. So for those who and I did that on purpose because it's a reason for people to go back and check the first episode. So Frank <laughs> is based in Philadelphia, and on the first episode that we had Frank on the podcast, I did a Fresh Prince of Bel Air rap in introducing Frank to the show and I, I think probably to this day is still the best intro we've ever had on VUX World so definitely check out that first episode uh, yeah, yeah. What, I, what I especially appreciated about that was that you didn't tell me you were going to do it so exactly. it was just sprung on me so my reaction <laughs> was natural and when I think back to it I'm kind of like all right here we go again I'm excited to see what you have in store today not to <laughs> Not to sort of put you in any yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. funny you should say that because I have prepared a little. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, but welcome, welcome everyone uh, for who's joining us on LinkedIn. There's a few people on here now, 21 or so people joining in straight away. So welcome um, to VUX World. If it's your first time joining us, uh, listening to the show, this is the show where we dive into the details on conversational AI strategy, design and development with the aim of either teaching you how to do it or helping you find ROI with it. And uh, Frank and Speakeasy have got a whole, whole wealth of experience. And we're going to be talking today about the uh, how to go about automating your call centers using artificial intelligence, conversational AI. Um, and we're going to get moving. Before we do kick off, I'd like to give a shout out to Bradley Metrock and his team from Project Voice Catalyst. If you are in the industry, if you're working in the industry, in the conversational AI voice industry, uh, Bradley Metrock, who is the, the founder of Score Publishing. They run the uh, the Project Voice Conference. They do uh, This Week in Voice, the podcast. If you haven't listened to that yet, then do so. And Project Voice Catalyst is uh, an opportunity for you if you work in the industry, if you have technology, if you have services and you're looking to find clients, Project Voice Catalyst are offering five warm leads per month if you get involved in their business development services. So do check it out. It's a little bit kind of like exclusive right now for VUX World listeners because there's no website. It's a little bit like, it's a, little bit like a virtual speakeasy actually Frank, to be honest. Um, but to, to get involved, just email ray at scorepublishing.us. That's R-A-Y at scorepublishing.us. So, Frank, here we are. And I, before we do kick off, uh, we were supposed to meet in Philadelphia in January uh, to go yeah. for a Philly cheesesteak. So we definitely need to rearrange that at some point uh, yeah, once this whole COVID thing's look, uh, over with. Absolutely. absolutely. Well, we'll go on a sandwich tour, not just a cheesesteak. Because Philly is <laughs> the sandwiches in the world. 
Wicked, wicked. Well, so thank you everyone for, for tuning in. And if you have any questions throughout the whole course of this uh, of this show, just stick them in the comments on LinkedIn and we'll do our very best to put them to Frank. Uh, it's always better with a bit of audience participation. So, so do chip in with your comments and your questions uh, for Frank. So Frank, before we kick off then, before we get into the details of automating call centers with yeah. conversational AI, do you want to just give us a bit of an introduction to yourself and a little bit of an introduction to Speakeasy and let everyone know who you are and what you're up to in, in this kind of space? Sure. So uh, me personally, it's funny, it's always Philly heavy with me. It's just the nature of someone that's born and raised in that city. Uh, but started my career as um, a teacher, was in education in the nonprofit world, segued into technology sales, and then have had the quite sort of wonderful, fortunate experience to be able to work in and around call centers, which um, people in that industry know it, it, it is. It, it's a fun place to work. Um, it's an environment where you always have an opportunity to work on new technologies. Um, automation and AI really has a lot of DNA in some of these sort of legacy telco or contact center technologies. So I've been in software for going on 15 years. Uh, my prior company before Speakeasy AI was a digital chatbot company that we exited. And during that time, we had the privilege of consulting with some really large brands, JP Morgan Chase, Time Warner Cable, Verizon Wireless, Intercontinental Hotels Group, among others. And we got to meet some amazing people who were on the forefront of automation technologies. Uh, so we launched Speakeasy about two years ago based on some of the hypotheses that we had from those learnings from our prior company, as well as some ingenuity and incredible ideas from our CTO and my co-founder, Moshe Biazan. Um, and then we got out into marketplace. So we've been around for two years. Uh, we're, we're a sort of startup on the rise. And what we ultimately do is try to provide voice customer experiences that people can use and love. And we try to automate conversations, not just in voice, but in digital and walk that call or walk that chat over to the call center agent, sit with them in the cubicle, and then provide assistance from that point forward. Um, but that's us in a nutshell. Cool. So you're right that, you know, the voice technology and, and conversational technology is kind of has a long history in IVR. And I remember, you know, I, I don't remember because I wasn't involved in this space then, but some people might remember that uh, around like the 90s and stuff with, with Nuance and, and companies like that, that were, that were providing a lot of technology in the IVR space. Um, it almost seems as though, and we've had this conversation a few times, it almost seems as though the IVR space, the call center space, has that having a bit of a renaissance as far as voice technology is concerned. And would you say that's true? And if it is, why do you think that is? Yeah, for sure. And, and I think we're, we're definitely trying to be a part of that. And, and so um, there is an agenda in it for us, but we do believe this market condition exists. So the one really easy one is that everyone has an Alexa in their kitchen or has a Siri on their phone or talks to things again. And there's this market condition that people are willing to talk to voice automation things again. And the expectation has changed drastically. And the patience level for Alexa is a little bit different too. Like people don't get frustrated and angry with Alexa because they don't really don't usually have a problem, but it opens a gateway from an adoption perspective of people are willing to talk to automated things again. And then at the same time, digital AI investments that have had varying degrees of success, if we're being honest, over the past sort of five to 10 years, have gotten to the point where, you know, you might be handling, like I know brands that are doing somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 million chatbot conversations through their website or contact us a year, yet their phone volume has not really decreased at the level that they anticipated. You know, digital was supposed to reduce call volume. And it's not that they don't want customers to call them. It's, it's the sort of 
longstanding issue of how do you handle that kind of scale 24 hours a day in voice. So you have a potential adoption curve readiness for customers to talk to things again. You have digital AI investments that have done well in digital platforms or typing to it platforms that are now ready to be brought back into some of the laggard technologies that are the original voice automation technologies, that being IVR. Um, so it's sort of this perfect storm of forces. And what we've tried to do is consult and build around a product or a platform that's really betting on that AI orchestration layer of saying, hey, we're going to be really good at understanding intent. We're going to be really good at understanding what the customer needs and wants. And then fulfillment for us doesn't have to be just from us natively. Fulfillment can be from existing IVR automation that already works well. Like no one's going to do payments in IVR better. You can, you can make payments in IVR now. It's you have for a while and they're not that cumbersome to be honest, but some of these informational or complex conversational flows, we're going to bring those in and where we can have a conversation, we will. But if there's a dialogue flow digital bot that you've invested in, that can have a conversation. Let's go over there and do fulfillment there. Or if fulfillment is a human and we need to deliver a call to Kane and then help Kane be as efficient as possible, we're going to go there for fulfillment. And all this, all the while we want to track analytics that make sense from a customer journey perspective so we can improve things over time. Um, so that's sort of the landscape as we see it, but those market forces of talking to things again, combined with investments over the last five to 10 years in enterprises and the need to stick all these things together and have them work in sometimes even a laggard piece of technology like IVR is what we're seeing. Mm. And has it has the kind of I think you're you're right in terms of the consumer appetite. People, you know, speaking to the the devices all day long and stuff like that, maybe makes it more uh, likely that someone's gonna not you know not just trying to hang up or whatever when they hear it when they hear a bot through an IVR. But is there anything that's changed as far as the technology is concerned? I mean, the technology from the nineties and, and early two thousands was that good enough to automate most IVRs? You mentioned that some of the payment journeys are fine. What's what's changed in terms of the technology over the last, let's say, decade? Sure. The, the expansion of what you can do with natural language to recognize intent and then fulfill those intents with AI or automation has expanded drastically. So what you can now do self-service with has changed dynamically so that you're not just doing those traditional, like in a cable environment. Cable company, you can always call and check on an outage or what, when is a technician arriving once you authenticate. But now you can ask questions related to the actual set-top box itself or you know walk down a more complex troubleshooting. You know, There's some sort of nuts and bolts troubleshooting, but some more nuanced versions of that or informational content or quality content. like you're calling a hotel and you want to know some things specifically about a property. Um, so, you know, in the IVR world for, for as long as you can imagine, right. Containment has been the driving force. And even that word containing, like, you know, how do we keep customers in and containment as a success metric has just been something that has driven some of these, um, issues of why people hate IVRs. And, and the idea that even in containment in IVRs, if you hang up while well, you were contained, well, you might've hung up out of frustration. How was that success? Um, but we didn't, we didn't continue. We continue. You didn't get to an agent. Um, so because technology is better now and we can deliver this, but because of those sins of the past, if you will, there's always going to be the person still calling and saying, agent, 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 or mm -hmm. get me to a human. Um, and we feel like the crux of it is you might need to accept that there's going to be 10 to maybe 20% of people who are just never going to play with your automation, your voice IVR. And that's okay. So just, you know, tell me what you need to talk to us about. We're going to get you to the right human and then we'll help that human service you. Um, but to force people down a flow where hanging up is a, a good thing. 
um, is not where you want to go. But technology now can have us sort of change that calculus. So as you build confidence and deliver self-service in some unique ways in automation, then we believe that adoption curve will change. And we're seeing that with, with the customers that we're deployed with. Mm. So it, so- it sounds as though, from, from what you're saying, it sounds as though like in the past, some of the IVR systems have been able to to automate some of the kind of big ticket fairly or more straightforward kind of use cases like make a payment are you open etc but it yeah. sounds as though I wouldn't say, say most i would say there's like a a top 10 list that, right okay that it's not necessarily the top drivers it's just things that ibrs can do right okay um but what but, you're saying is that the the technology has advanced to the point whereby you can now realistically start targeting some of those longer tail queries so that rather than automating like i don't know 30 percent of the top 10 you're now able to then essentially automate a hell of a lot more because the technology is more sophisticated that you can understand a lot more about what people are saying absolutely and that's the key understanding the true intent of the customer beyond just the behavior patterns within an ivr that you program guessing or you program to just track dropout rates mm-hmm. but for us when we consult and we deploy we often say let's listen to your customer for two weeks or whatever the case may be for a certain period of time before we get them to an agent and actually give you real-time analytics into what those voices are asking for on their way to their journey to, to the agent. And then you actually have your roadmap prescriptively before you even deploy a self-service flow. You kind of don't know what you don't know. You have some hypotheses and a lot of them are, are you know, formulated to be true because you're tracking these things in digital customer behavior as well as sort of agent side, you know, QA, QM. But ultimately, we believe in let's listen to your customers and have them help drive this roadmap rather than force them down a flow. Um, You know, IVR is linear automation. It's not meant to be conversational. Even the eye is interactive. It's never promised intelligence and Mm. it hasn't delivered intelligence. And it's just you're either going to zero out to an agent. You're going to do the flows that, that we built in this very linear boxed in path. And that's it. And and if you think about sort of when you call an IVR now, especially now, they try to contain you so many times and they try to discourage you from even being on the phone. Hey, listen, just to let you know, the whole times are crazy. <laughs> well, if you want to still want to talk to us, we'll get you to an agent. Then you might hear a ring and it goes to the next prompt. Hey, disclaimer, we're going to record you. And you know, the whole time is 15 minutes, but still, do you want to talk? Um, if you do tell us some things, right? If it's natural language um, or here are some of the things that you might want to talk about. You might want to talk about billing. You might want to talk about making a payment. You might want to talk about an outage. Anything else, can you just go to our website? So they kind of, they keep discouraging you at every moment, um, which kind of doesn't open up the door for why you came in to begin with. Mm-hmm. And no one does that in a human retail environment. If you walk into a Sprint store, they don't say, before you come in, <laughs> did you go to the website? And if you come in, just know, I only want to do these three things. And if you want to do those three things, great. We're going to sit down. Oh, and by the way, you're probably going to have to wait 20 minutes for me to come back to you and talk to you again. So let me go in the back. If it's about these three things, otherwise get out and go to the website. And technology now has made it so that that, that kind of world and automation is, is just something we need to avoid for customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's like, I mean, there's, all, there's that saying within uh, agile kind of software development, isn't there, that you have to appreciate that everyone did the best they could 
at the time, given the knowledge they had, the skills they had, and the resources at their disposal. And it seems a little bit as though history and historically, people have just kind of like, I mean, AVR, some AVR systems have been in play for like 20 years. And over the course mm. of those 20 years, it's like, well, okay, well, let's just stick this in there. Let's stick that in there. Let's put this whole music in. Let's stick another cue over here. And it's like, over the time, it just ends up like a big spaghetti. And yeah. it does end up becoming what, what it should be is helpful. It should be giving people an opportunity to get whatever it is that they need to, to get, whether it's because they couldn't find it on the website or whether it's because they chose not to use the website. But it's almost as if it, over over time, IVRs have stopped becoming what they should be, which is helpful, and started becoming a little bit of a, a negative experience. And most people do complain about the press one for this and press two for that. And it's like, it, takes, it, it actually takes forever as well. It was one of the advantages of being able to just have someone speak to the phone understand what it is that they are calling about is that you you totally shorten that call time you know you, you don't have to press one then wait then press two then wait and then press you know it's just it's 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 shortening the call time providing a better experience and using IVRs for what they should be used for which is to help people yeah it's true and it's it's funny and it's not brand's fault i don't think any of this is done with ill will towards customers or with intent um i think about uh at a past company, I consulted with a giant cable company that their customer service was so ill thought of out in the world at times that there was a Saturday Night Live skit about their customer service, literally where they kind of teased it out, made fun of it. There was, um, they hired a celebrity uh, coach of an American sport here in the States to be their IVR voice, which blew up in another weird, kind of funny, in unintentionally comedic way. Um, and they had... Uh, one of these famous issues where it was probably like four or five years ago where a call center agent had a bad experience with a customer and then they sent them a bill with like uh, a new name for them in their bill <laughs> to kind of teach them a lesson, um, a colorful name. And all of these things were going on. And this brand said, it's all, forget the technology silos and how we're limited with things. We need to really lean into customer experience because this is not going to be um, tenable for us long term. And so they hired a bunch of really smart people who were very focused on the customer and not the barriers of technology limitations and sort of took some calculated risks and tried some new things. And this brand had probably the best team I've ever run across in my life as far as what they were able to do with chatbots back in 2014, what they were able to do with live chat back in 2011, maybe, um, all of these new, which were newer channels back then at scale, they were doing incredible things. Their mobile app was amazing. Um, and it all bore out of the sort of let's, let's actually authentically say it, you know, it's not just about the tech stack. It's about the customer experience and, and leaning into the customer uh, journey. Mm. Cool. We've got quite a bit of a discussion going on over in, in LinkedIn, and I'm going to come around to that uh, in just one minute. Oh, yeah. But before that, you, uh, you, you were getting that, we, we were kind of getting into, you, you kind of started hinting at some of the practicalities about how you might go about doing this kind of automation. And you mentioned that you start out with listening. Um, yeah. And it was interesting. Uh, we were having a conversation the other day uh, on LinkedIn, and we were talking about how do you, go about figuring out what to automate how do you go about starting so it was a conversation about, i want to find the chap's name because uh I, I, at least i need to give credit where credit is due is it martin butterfield i want to say anyway i'll find i'll find it but um yeah we were talking about how do you go about starting wayne butterfield sorry wayne wayne butterfield i hope he's tuning in um we're talking so wayne was asking about 
you know, how how do you go about start like starting out? Like, how do you know what use cases to aim for? How do you know like what to even do? What, what conversations to automate? What use cases you should prioritize? And so, it's interesting because you were talking about this listening exercise. I'm wondering whether we can just elaborate on what that actually looks like. So, correct me if I'm wrong, and you can you can elaborate on this. But you you implement the Speakeasy technology within the IVR system, and you just listen to what people are calling about and then match that to an intent and then prioritize it that way. Is that right? That's a good way. That's a good brushstroke to paint it. I mean, you know, for us, our DNA is sort of AI orchestration and integration because what we learned working at these big companies is there were so many different siloed investments across the whole spectrum of digital and voice that to ignore them all and sweep it all out would just not work. Um, So what that means from a sort of delivery perspective for us is and I'll be really granular. So you might have an enterprise IVR that you invest in the big names like Avaya or Genesis or Cisco. And it's just not feasible for you to sweep that out necessarily based on staff you have on hand, based on your capital expenditure, based on all of these different features. And there are parts that you might even like, right? And, your whole, and it also has to do with how much labor you're sourcing and from what provider. So for whatever reason, you're, you're in, you want that IVR, but you just want it to work better. At the same time, you have all of these digital investments, these digital properties that sit on your website, that sit on your mobile app. They're doing automation and that are doing conversational automation now. And these things need to sort of work together and have consistency of approach and consistency of content and also incorporate what's going on on the agent side. So for us, we're trying to enable all that. So when we come in with our solution, we say we're going to integrate with your Genesis IVR, for example. And we're, hey, do you have any AI content that we can use? Great. We have pre-built bot connectors to certain bots. So Watson, Dialogflow, Inventa, Creative Virtual, NanoRep slash LogMe, and uh, Alexa, or Amazon Lex, which are two different things. So, you know, depending on what you have, let's bring all that into the mix. They're not going to do anything. They're not going to fulfill the answers. We're not going to answer. We're not going to disrupt the customer experience. And before we get them to an agent, we're going to ask some questions, and we're going to do a couple of things. One is we're building a bootstrap text model for custom language models um, with those bot integrators or with a corpus. Before before we carry on, a bootstrapped language model, you said. Yeah. Do you want to just define define what that means just in case there's people tuning in who might not be quite as savvy with the the terminology? so. So there's an inherent sort of issue that's not um, compared to what we're trying to solve between speech to text and speech to intent, which is what we use. And we're not trying to say that speech to intent is more accurate, but for handling 50 million conversations at scale in voice and trying to improve things quickly and dynamically and report on things in real time, which not a lot of people do the AI reporting in real time very well and reacting to it in real time very well, which, which we're trying to do. Um, we don't just rely on text alone to understand. So traditional AI systems are, or voice AI systems are, you speak the words, we transcribe it, and then we push it to the system of intelligence. We want to pre-digest things. So we're saying our AI engine, as well as our sort of machine learning neural net for voice, audio, and phonetic pattern matching, as well as when I say bootstrap model, it's the text that we used as the foundation layer. That text could come from your existing bot deployments. It could come from some sort of human-created intents. We're going to mix all of this together into one sort of embodiment to listen to that call. Because why should we listen to that call and not leverage all the context that's possible? And then as we do that, and I say it's a bootstrap model, because once the text foundation is built, we're now going to layer audio on top of that. And 
over time, you're going to have a robust, truly voice centered model. This is for our IVR deployment because we do digital as well Mm -hmm. to handle these customer inquiries. And that's how we can have a conversation that's pretty complex. And I can say, Hey, I'm traveling next Thursday and I'm bringing my mom and I'm saying in this very Philly accent and, you know, she likes to bring water on the plane and I know that's not allowed, but really what I want to ask is, do I have to pay anything extra to sit next to her? And I said, water on purpose. I try to get there in there because that's <laughs> more accent. And we're able to marry that to an intent. And the reason why we're able to marry that into intent is because we're aware of the context of all the other investments you have. We have a, really best of breed engine to understand what that intent is. And ultimately we also don't rely on transcription alone. It's not that transcription isn't accurate. I mean, at this point to sell speech to text, to be in that marketplace, I mean, Microsoft declared human parity like two years ago. They said it's 95% accurate. I've never pressed the microphone button on any phone and spoken into it and been like, oh, that transcription was horrible. It's usually fairly accurate, right? We're We're not trying to say speech to text is faulty. We're saying it's one piece of a puzzle to really understand the customer. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's a difference for our approach. So we listen, we build out this intent library and the original model. We're giving you real time analytics into what's going on. And then oftentimes the customer finds out, wow, even before I get to self-service, I need to change a lot of my routing. I need to reduce uh, call transfer rates. Holy smokes. Look at all this insight I'm getting into call drivers. And I know someone had a comment on LinkedIn that, listen, contact centers are sitting on immense data. Some of the smartest data analysts that I've ever met in my life work in contact centers. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, goodwill hunting doing call center metrics. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. So they have plenty of data, but this is new and actionable and timely. The speed of it is really important. So being able to provide that in real time is key. So we build a model. We show you what prescriptively you should attack. And then we decide how to attack it because it might not be all automation. The goal is not just how much can we automate, even though we want to, right? And we will, but maybe a lot of these are human issues, but we're going to make the agent more efficient. And that's why we have agent assist in our portfolio as well. Or maybe this is going to inform digital strategy for another whole another product. Maybe it's going to inform the way we're handling search. It's actually going to be business perspective insights into this voice. Hmm. So, for those for those for those who are tuning in who um who might not be kind of as close to to this kind of stuff is correct and correct me if I'm wrong because I want to make sure I understand this is I mean, that no no no, no 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 I I think most people are, are following and I'm following I just want to make sure that I'm getting it so that in case I'm yeah. not so what you're saying is that we we uh you put the the speakeasy technology into the IVR system and it doesn't matter what the IVR system is. Is that correct? It doesn't matter if it's Genesis, Avaya, any, any IVR system that exists today. I'm kind of answering that easily. And that's a huge value prop for people. People are kind of like, wow, that's heavy lifting a lot of times Mm. Um, because think about the gamut. We talked about IVR being around 20, 30 years, the flavors of IVRs or what license you've bought or what you've paid for or what you've accepted or not accepted, even within a Cisco world, the flavors of Cisco IVR are varied and deep. And we've done really good at, um, I don't want to be too jargony about how we do it or give away secret sauce. We've done really well at the heavy lifting to be able to leverage that and get on the line and listen. Hmm. So, so regardless of which IVR system you have, cause I think, cause I think that's also the first step in many people's minds in terms of, if you're thinking about automating your IVR, the first step is, well, I've got this Genesis system and it's, it's, we don't really want to get rid of it because it's, it costs us a hell of a lot of money, we've got a lot invested in it. So 
I think one of the first barriers is, well, people might not necessarily be aware that they can do a lot with what they already have. And so regardless of the RVR system that you have, the speakeasy technology then can sit there not taking control, not so in, in the early stages, we're talking about that listening phase. The technology yeah. sits there without taking control, without trying to automate anything. It just sits there and listens to what people are talking about. And rather than um, the the kind of speech to text, which you mentioned, which for those tuning in, some, sometimes, uh, or, or the way the dialogue flow on Google, etc., work is that they'll take your speech, they'll translate mm-hmm. it into text, and then the natural language processing will then try and figure out what you actually want to yeah. do. Um, and, and, and then you get that kind of intent at the back end. But you, so you're listening, at, you're listening using different technology that's not reliant on speech to text, and then figuring out whether, depending on what people are saying, should I send them to this bot that I've already have, like a, a bot that you might have on your website, you can plug that into your IVR, maybe root something there. Or you are ultimately even, you may even just root everything back to an agent, but what you get as a result is a whole load of data around what the intent is, which means that then you can then say, okay, out of the last 6,000 calls over the last few days, this is the top 50 intents then yeah. you're in a position to say, okay, well, what, which of these can we automate? Where can we get the automation? How? Where can we automate? Should we build things in speakeasy? Should we build, because we're very good at building conversation flows. Should we build a conversation flow in speakeasy that has certain slots or actions to do? Or ultimately, but when we get down this part of the flow, even within a flow, maybe there's a script that calls this bot who's the subject matter expert in that information and we voice enable that bot. For us, we want to be the authority of intent and sort of orchestrate where and how fulfillment happens. Mm. And fulfillment in AI is sort of, okay, I know what you want, now I'm gonna go get it. Fulfillment could be human fulfillment, and then we're gonna augment that human. It could be any one of your other automation ecosystems. It could be an RPA flow you built in UiPath, and we're gonna voice enable that. But for us, we wanna empower sort of diverse fulfillment perspectives or diverse fulfillment to break down these silos and have one place where you can go to manage the orchestration, manage these different investments, and manage the customer journey mm. because the customer doesn't care about these words that we're, that we're using at all. Mm. They just want what they want and they want what they need. And so we need to give you that vision in real time and actually allow you to sort of plug and play and have insights and then react to them. That's cool. So so I want people to visualize this. If you're tuning in and you are even working close to a contact center, this is the picture I have in my mind. And from what you're saying, this is this is the way that I have in my mind. And correct me if I'm wrong. But imagine having uh, some glue that basically sticks together the chatbot on your website, possibly even your Alexa skill, the uh, IVR call center system that you have, sits in the middle of the whole thing. And whenever someone calls up to your um, company, whatever they say... It then either can just fulfill it directly. If someone phones up and says, hey, look, if they phone up a restaurant and say, hey, are you open tomorrow? Fulfill that directly and just say, yes, tomorrow we're open at X, Y, Z. Automate that call. But let's say they're talking about returns. The phone a retailer, hey, I want to, I want to, I bought a package the other day, I want to return it. And let's say the chatbot on the website currently does that interaction. Then you would just pull that chatbot into the call. So yeah. then they handle the return part of the floor within the call. Is that yeah. correct? That's, that's yeah. what I'm saying. And, yeah. and why people struggle with that is because, and it's, it's an approach differentiation, not to give too much of a way of what makes us special, but we want to digest it before we call the chatbot. We're bringing AI to the line earlier. We're not just passing the transcription along. 
because different bots need to have the information presented to them in different ways. And so we're good at speaking bot, if you will. You know, our layer, that conversational middleware that you described mm. is making sure that wherever we go, even if it's just article content, um, we know how to go fetch it. Mm. So that way it doesn't have a break point by just passing transcription along. And that way you can have those more complex things because ultimately, especially in the voice channel, again, we do digital as well. But in the voice channel, it's a little more challenging because people speak differently than they type. It's just, it's just the nature of things. Um, and then ultimately human fulfillment is not something that, we want to punish the customer for. If they have to get to a human, we want to take them there and we want to stay in the mix because it's going to help our models get better. It's going to help us understand how to better serve this customer. It's going to help drive efficiency, reduce training times and average handle times for the agents. And all of that goodness should be shared. It shouldn't be siloed and isolated. Hmm. So that example I was given there then, because this is another interesting thing, as I think that sometimes when you're thinking about automating your conversations within your contact center, it's quite easy to think, well, you know, I'm I'm a, a large pensions company or I'm a large insurance company or I'm a, a massive bank and it's like I, I don't think that many of our things can be automated because they're so specific we've got really specific customers with really specific needs and so 20 or 80% of our calls are going to end up with a live agent but from hearing you talk and I, this would be interesting for you to get into to that bit is that even when that happens when you say the technology follows the caller through from the IVR to actually speak into a live agent. So the speakeasy will sit there, listen to that call. And then last time we spoke, you were talking about the fact that even while the, even when you transfer a caller to an agent, the agents on the call, speakeasy can then actually help the agent fulfill yep. that call as well. If do you want to explain a little bit about what happened, how that works and how that, you know, how that looks. Sure. sure. So, yeah. So, so we, in our voice agent assist, since this is a voice centric sort of conversation, um, we're listening to the customer and then in an agent desktop UI, oftentimes integrated in an agent desktop UI. We don't want to, again, we want to be integrated. We want to be seamless. We don't want to plug in another thing they have to look at besides the article contents or the post-it notes on the right-hand side. And we're listening to the customer. And the 10 systems that they have to use as well. <laughs> right, exactly. So, so, you know, for example, we can do this in a Zendesk uh, window or in a Genesis agent UI window. And, and so as it's going on, we say, hey, here is the answer that Sky, that's what we call our own voice bot. Here's the answer that Sky would have answered with. If you want to use it, that can help you. And then maybe here's the top three by confidence score in our algorithm. Other things that might have answered this. So the agent has the right to go quickly, just it's quick, but oh, changes right there. And then we're tracking the agent interacting with it as well. So the agent is, the human agent is acting like an AI annotator, if you will, and improving the system and not really disrupting anything. So we have, so we're having that conversation. We're helping the agent. The agent can hit the pause button turn us off for a moment. Maybe we're listening to too much. Maybe someone's describing all of their, you know, I have three daughters and maybe, you know, and I can be a little bit verbose. So maybe I'm just describing all my three kids before I book a hotel room and why they need certain beds. And maybe you want to pause that for a moment because we don't want to analyze all of that. Um, and then unpause it when you're ready, we don't want to be an intrusive sort of, or, you know, obstruction to the agent providing seamless care and quickly. Um, and then in the digital world, we're trying to drive concurrency, let the agent handle multiple chats at a time. But ultimately then at the end of that conversation, we're going to automate some wrap up notes or help disposition the call, as they say in the contact center, you know, why did the customer call here, the intents that were touched and that way they can get to the next call a little bit more quickly and, and feel you know a little bit more empowered to get things done. But all of that, information, all that data is feeding back into the same AI engine that can do self-service. There's no reason to keep these things siloed mm. anymore. 
and that's what we're trying to enable. These things have to talk to each other. And that's that's half of the half of the problem that, that I've seen in contact centers is that agents when when they're answering calls, they've got so many calls to get through. <clears throat> and in reality, I've been I've seen contact centers where they don't actually kind of wrap up the call at the end. Right? So they won't actually they won't actually record what the call was about because they're just too busy, they need to get on to the next call. And so, you know, having them while they're on the call give you the feedback to tell you how the agent, like, for example, I'm on the call, I'm, I'm on the phone with a customer, Sky's recommending me answers, and I can say, yeah, that one, I need that one, feed that into the system, train the AI. Doesn't require any more time on my part. Um, Michael Novak, shout out to Michael. Uh, we, we met also in Project Voice. My first time ever in America in January, freaking 30-odd years, and I didn't even go to America before. But uh, <laughs> but Michael's asking, uh, I'm going to I'm gonna come on to some of these LinkedIn comments now, because there's a good discussion going on. There's, there's loads of comments in here and quite a few questions um what michael's asking is when agents do that when agents give sky feedback or update things and, and give update answers and stuff is all that stuff updated in real time so that five minutes later when the next agent gets on a call and sky's there <clears throat> sky uses the intelligence that she's just got or it's just got from one call and can feed it straight into the next call is that real time updating or it's tracked in real time but you typically in a deployment don't want to update the knowledge base in real time you want to have some kind of quality control to sort of look at it. But we have a neural net machine learning system that we call NERV. And in NERV, you see it automatically. And we even have a dashboard view where you can say, let me just see agent behavior and not customer behavior. I want to segment customer journeys by how the agent is interacting with the bot that's listening to calls. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes, all the data is presented in real time and the suggestions are presented in real time. But typically... Um, we think it's a best practice to not update the knowledge base based on that feedback right away. You know, um, we can prioritize it or have alerts sent out. Maybe it's something that's clearly an issue that you want flagged. We can do things like that. And customers have asked us to do that, but we don't sort of change the knowledge base in real time a lot of times. And especially if that knowledge is actually being fulfilled somewhere else. Right. So let's say, for example, we're, we're partners with a company and we're going to announce here in a couple of weeks that sort of does a version of expert answer sourcing. Mm -hmm. They find fans and brand advocates and influencers out in the world who know a lot about specific products, right? And they are a great source to get information. So we're going to integrate with them. And then at times for the agent, it might be that the best, based on that intent, the best piece of content to help this customer comes from a fan of this product. Okay. And, you know, I'm going to use Nike as I even have a Nike sticker on my laptop. It's mm -hmm. Nike's not the use case, but I'm a huge Nike fan. If you want to ask me about the Air Jordan 11 and all the colors it comes in and all the different ways it feels on court, off court, what looks good with jeans, at least in my opinion, right? And, and I'm old, so I'm not that good at fashion. But so, so, but if you want to talk about the Air Jordan 11, maybe you grab me and that's the piece of content. So if, if the agent felt like it didn't work as well as he expected or she expected, then changing that would be really, there's going to be a little bit of a tail or a lag on that, right? Because that content actually exists in a third party fulfillment place that we brought to the table. So maybe that was too much of a... No, no, it's, a, it, no, it's, answer, no, no, it's, it's right, it's right. And also the, uh, the other thing is that you don't want a, an agent who's on the call, distracted, typing away, trying to update a knowledge base with spelling yeah. mistakes and all kinds of stuff going on. It's just, yeah, it's not going to be... We keep it to clicks, just a couple little clicks. And we don't even make... So it, it, it's hard to conceptualize, but in the UI of Sky for the agent assist, the agent answer comes in green. And if the agent were to pick one of the two intents below to change the answer above, it seamlessly changes in the same box. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, so yeah, it doesn't, 
it isn't a new box. It doesn't look like a new utterance. It yeah. changes within the box. Okay. Um, so it, and really it's all just to try to make it easy and something the agents actually want to use. Cause, and it's funny, my second job, my first job was Paperboy, but my second job was a call center agent. And if you are given a tool, you know, and if, and you, you don't think it's it actually helping you, you, you put it aside unless someone yeah. beats you over the head to use it. Yeah. Um, and we want this to be something the agents want to use. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to jump into LinkedIn. Uh, so Guppy has asked, how do you approach, um, how do you approach automatic call distribution? So I've come across a case study recently from Charles Schwab and apparently how, how true this is, but apparently Charles Schwab no longer has a switchboard, like a first point of contact that will then route your call through to wherever it needs to go. And all of that's handled by an AI. Does that, is that something that, that you've had any experience with and how does that work? Yeah. So it's funny. And one of, I used to sell IVRs and ACDs in the cloud, right? A long time ago and consulted with brands about that. And we're at the point where, because we work in such big brands, we're often having to work with their existing IVR and ACD, right? But if it's a brand that actually is in a sweep out position or, you know what, we don't care. We just want to eliminate that. Or they don't want to hang on. They're not pleased. And, and it's funny, I should say, a lot of brands are, are relatively pleased enough with certain IVRs. So they're not ready to swap it out or they have a good relationship with the vendor, which matters. Um, but in that instance, what do we do about ACD? You know, we see ACD as just plumbing. And if you want us to bring the plumbing um, to have this renovated bathroom, then we're just going to bring the plumbing. We'll bring some PVC. So for us, we'll bring the ACD. We'll just license sort of an off the shelf ACD or, or IVR, like a free switch or something like that. And then that'll help us get to the routing of your telephony so that we can exist in the, in the top layer and do AI routing and sort of replace the ACD. So we can do that. Um, it's just a matter of, do you want us to do the plumbing or not? Most people don't want us to do the plumbing. I think that'll change over time because there's so much plumbing investment already there that they want us to sort of renovate on top of the plumbing to use the analogy. Mm. And Michael, again, has, has said one of the, it's not a question, it's more of a comment, but he's saying that he, he appreciates sometimes the kind of, I'll call you back kind of uh, notion. Mm. Um, I think the problem with that though is that it stops people from getting what they want to get done, done. And then it has yep. something hanging on you that you then need to yep. do again. That different when, when you're ready, when you want it, you, most of the time, you really don't want to phone people. I spent a lot of time working in, in government. And one of the first things you learn when you very first test the government service is that people don't want to use any government websites. They're not doing it because they want to. They're doing it because they have to. They have to renew the passport. Otherwise, they can't go on holiday. They have to get a parking permit. Otherwise, they can't park outside the house. You know, So they're not doing it out of choice. They're doing it because they want to. And I think that sometimes... When people call, it's almost like that. It's like, I don't want yeah. to phone my insurer, but I have to. And so when you get there, I don't really want them to say, well, hi, I'll tell you what, we'll phone you back in half an hour. It's like, I'm ready yeah. to do it now. you know. So that's half of the value as well, is that you can actually deliver things there and then. We believe it should be part of your arsenal, but much like other automation investments or other virtual queuing or whatever you want to call it, it has to be used in the right way. So we actually are a firm believer in callback technologies, but what we would want to do is take a stab at self-service or collecting intent information before you schedule that. So a lot of times these virtual callbacks will present you with just a menu. They confirm the phone number. Oh, well, are you calling at this number? Yes, I am. Okay. Can you do Tuesday at two or can you do later on today? Can you do three hours from now? And if it's no, they present the next menu and it's very, 
It's like another IVR. So what we would say is, in principle, we think that virtual callback is really good, especially there are issues. Again, our tenant is there are issues that a human has to handle. So this is a human issue. And just by the nature of the world, a human isn't always available. But this is a human issue. So we know you'll be best served by a human. Tell us what you need before we have that human call you back. So now let's bring some again. And that's where our power is. We would say let's natural language enable that little flow. Maybe you get some data. So you reduce the time of when they get to the agent. Does the agent already know what they want? Does the agent already have the answer ready or to, or the, the workflow up to walk them down that workflow? Or maybe when you collect what the customer says, Hey, I use the open example. I know it's, it's so easy, but let's just use it again. Mm-hmm. Are you open on Thanksgiving? Oh, well, why am I going to schedule a callback for that? And again, this is a really rudimentary example, but why am I going to schedule a callback for that? And I can just answer it. Actually we are boom. It's over. Do you still want the callback? No, I don't. <laughs> oh, thanks. Have a great day. So it's just a little nuanced difference, but we actually at a high level would say, have it in your arsenal, have virtual callback in your arsenal, because there will be times that you're just trying to solve that issue. Hmm. A human is required and a human is not available. And rather than frustrate them or torture them, some customers like the virtual callback. And it's funny. I I know that for me, I like it when it's something where I already know it's going to be a whole time. Like if I have to call the government, Mm. Or I have to call the IRS about a tax refund or something. Well, shoot, I don't expect to get through to a human forever. Mm. So if you tell me I'll call you back, great. Yeah, call me back. Two o'clock, I'm good. I'll pick up the phone when you call. Because it's a different expectation. Um, So, you know, maybe you want a technician to specifically walk you through booting up a complex piece of technology. And you want a human. There's a digital self-service, but you just... You're in a technological world where you just want someone to walk you through it. Well, there might not be a human available to do that. So schedule a time to do it. Mm. Um, There's also those really kind of unique little things where like, so for example, I I had a situation with GoDaddy where mm. what happened was I was using a Microsoft email and just as a byproduct of having a Microsoft email, you get a Microsoft calendar, right? But I didn't, but I didn't use my. I didn't use my Microsoft Calendar. I use Google Calendar because all the docs on Google, everything's on Google, right? So half half of the stuff's in Microsoft, half of the stuff's in Google. But then what was happening was, depending on what device I was checking my emails and accepting calendar invites on, some invites would go to my Microsoft email, and some invites would go to my Google email calendar rather. So what was happening is sometimes I was missing calls because the calendar invite was in my Microsoft Calendar, and I always check my Google Calendar. And so what I went through the process of moving from uh, Microsoft to G Suite, and I wanted to kind of basically I needed GoDaddy to help it, and all I wanted to do was uh, switch the I don't know whatever host it was or something daft like that, and it wasn't working. Right, just wasn't working. Followed all the guidance, followed all the tutorials, did everything, just wasn't working. Uh, and I ended up having to phone GoDaddy, and I if 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 there'd been an agent there, I'd have just been able to say I want to switch from Microsoft to Google, and it might have just took me to the stuff that I've just kind of done. Turns out there was some kind of cock up. They they couldn't actually find how to do it on their end. It took them a day or so to get back to me. So it was really specific, really long tail. They're not going to get many calls like that in an average day. It was just something weird had gone on with when I'd migrated my emails, you know. So for stuff like that, I can see, yeah, I can see it being being useful. And there and there's nothing wrong with asynchronous care right? That's why text messaging is so popular in customer care. Now there's nothing wrong with asynchronous care when it's appropriate. Um, but you, you shouldn't try to force customers to engage in a way that they don't want or continually discourage them from engaging the way that they prefer. Right. So, you know, no, that, you know, the whole time's forever, just go to the website and figure it out. You know, knowing even some communication around, listen, 
we're going to handle this, but we're not quite sure in that instance, we'll get back to you in a day. And can we text you? Well, that, that, that's transformative, you know, because not everything is easy and informational or quick, you know, mm-hmm. but over time, if the AI is done right, you know, going back to sort of the original theme of what we're talking about, all of these automations can, that roadmap can grow over time. Mm. Peter Benston has asked, uh, he'd be interested in hearing about how privacy concerns are being addressed in Speakeasy um, mm-hmm. and within the contact center automation space in general, but specifically for health and life science applications, presumably that's where, where Peter's working. So what's your experience of privacy concerns from a user perspective, from a, from a potential client perspective and, and you know, how is Speakeasy handling it and dealing with it? varies so much based on use case, right? So it's a tough one to answer simply, but I'll try my best. So, you know, if if there's a PCI compliancy or GDPR or whatever acronym you feel like throwing out there to protect sensitive client data, there's there's masking technologies that, that we have that a lot of people have that you can use to mask the collection of the data. Sometimes the privacy concerns are around the storage and how you store them and where you store them and when you delete them. Um, it's not often a blocker. It's just a matter of what's the use case, what's the sensitive data that your client uh, collecting, and how are you going to change your storage? How are you going to change your demonstration? Or how are you going to change your masking based on that? So it's just a matter of sort of checking off those boxes. So it's, it's never fun, um, but it's super reliant on are you collecting credit card information? Or do you need to be compliant because this is about a sensitive patient issue? Um, and, you know, and to be honest, you know, healthcare is always an interesting one because how much do you really want to automate before you get to a human? Um, you know, it's, it's, again, it's very use case driven. You know, some people want to be sensitive about certain things. You know, one of the things that kind of, I'll say annoyed, annoyed me about my, my world, my AI compatriots, if you will, is as soon as COVID hit, everyone was just releasing COVID bots Mm. as marketing tools. And I was just kind of like, "Mm," you know, it's, there's just, first of all, you know, all, ramifications around society, there should be sort of less versions of the truth mm. or less versions of what the, the CDC or what the WHO or whoever is recommending, right? Let the scientists handle that. And, and it's not a marketing opportunity, but also it's, it's a sensitive thing and maybe we need to take a different approach. Um, so, but that's, that's a whole nother issue that's sort of related, but ultimately it's driven by use case. And it's just a matter of what are you masking? How are you storing? How are you deleting those kinds of things? Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. In the on on the kind of Alexa and Google side, there was a whole kind of hoo ha about all this COVID stuff when COVID was around. So like a lot of third parties were just creating like skills that were like COVID news yeah. and stuff like that. And I put I put a video on LinkedIn actually the day or two days before Amazon took everything down because we were testing them. Out. Me and Dustin were testing them out, and it was like one of them was telling us that there's only three cases in America, and at, at the time it was like New York was on fire and stuff. It was like crazy. It wasn't good, in my opinion. It wasn't a good. Um wasn't a good marketing event for the AI industry. Mm. Uh, and we avoided that. I will say that as far as real use cases and how that impacts things, um, we see people closing call centers down with 2,500 people, not because they want to let them go because of the economy, but because of restrictions and how do we get agents to work from home and can they do voice at home? Can they only do chat at home and how are we going to spin them up quickly? Do we need to use a new labor partner and how do we make sure that the training time is down? And, and this is where it's been, a, it's been good for agent assist to help sort of solve some of those issues. And also in our client deployments, we have two clients who, they have a custom dashboard on intents about Corona or COVID. And 
you know, they just want to know, have insights into what are the trends that we're seeing as far as people talking about it within um, the IVR, which it does come up. Um, you know, we, we saw similar trends for when some of the uh, um, protests were occurring sort of in, in the United States. So parentive, so having voice AI that can actually nimbly give you information on real-time conditions that might affect your business. Um, there's not a lot of people doing that out there. So, so those are the kinds of things that we want to do. And then ultimately it's a business decision, what you want to do with it. It's not, let's just put out a COVID bot kind of thing. Mm. And you were talking about masking there in terms of one of the things that can help from a privacy standpoint. What, what, what is masking? Are you talking about blocking out like pin numbers yeah. and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. The, the AI recognizes that you're giving a series of digits or series of numbers. So we're just not even going to collect it. Uh, you know what? That might be a credit card. It might be a social security number. We're not going to uh, collect that data for this particular use case. And we're just going to mask that it ever existed. So when you go back and look at that call, it just has like a bunch of X's or, you know, some, some kind of. What, what, how, how do you deal with authentication in, in that sense then? Because presumably if someone calls and they need to get access to their account or whatever, um, and I'm, I'm is speakeasy where that integration will happen into those line of business systems to automate that stuff? And if it is, how do you handle the masking in that environment? Yeah. So, so let's, it's two different questions. So let's say we're very big on not reinventing the wheels. So we talked about sort of IVR applications that currently work or things that you've built in your enterprise that currently work. So oftentimes we will integrate with authentication flows or authentication that already exists within the IVR. And we'll just reuse that when it's a time to authenticate. Or there will be a CTI, which is really just uh, the, the, the front end connected to a back end CRM that knows the customer and we'll do that same lookup, right? So through an API, we'll present that information and know who the customer is, right? That's different than authentic authentication. It's more like identification. And then lastly, um, we have voice biometric partners. So if someone says, um, you know what, I want you to use voice biometric. We bring a voice biometric partner in um, or we re-leverage their existing voice bio. Um, so again, part of that orchestration, again, it's very dependent on use cases. We try to stay flexible. You know, voice bio is something we've always wondered, you know, should we do that ourselves because it lends itself well, but we haven't opened that up yet because still our DNA is, there are some things that we do really well that no one else can do in orchestrating these things. And oftentimes customers who have invested and dived into voice biometrics has a vendor and has a solution they want us to use. And so we'll use that. Hmm. So Gopi again has asked, uh, if an agent is not available, this is interesting because I've been doing uh, a lot of work and a lot of research lately on chatbots on websites and a lot of companies use live chat, which I know often is part of like a unified communications bundle that might come with the contact center. And what happens is if it's after five or before nine, the live chat's not available. It turns it into a form. You submit, I submitted a form thinking I was going to get put into a conversation, but it was at like, I think it was like half six yesterday morning. And so I just sent a form, sent a contact form. That was it. It was gone. Um, so what do you do in that situation where people are calling, they're calling about something that can't be handled by the AI. Uh, Gopi has mentioned a Rona in, in a Rona is in a Rona state. R O N A. Uh, I don't know whether that's been defined, it hasn't been defined further down yet, but uh, essentially what happens in that situation, you know, if the agents are not available, it's out of hours, it's a call that can't be automated through the AI, what's the what's the best practice way of handling those kind of things? It's funny, in some ways it points to a virtual callback. So again, it depends on the use case and how you want to fulfill it. And I think it's customer journey dependent from a technology answer perspective. So the bot doesn't have an answer. You need a human, but the human's still not available. So we would say, use the bot to schedule a callback and have as much information queued up as possible. Or 
what we see a lot of brands doing, what we can do with our technology is move it to SMS because SMS is inherently asynchronous. So move it to SMS and say, hey, well, just want to let you know we have this. We're going to work on it and we'll get back to you right away. Um, so something that acknowledges that, the, that this collect as much data as possible, acknowledge that someone will be getting to it and then figure out what channel makes most sense from an asynchronous standpoint. Because live chat makes no sense asynchronously. But text message makes all the sense asynchronously. Because like you said, live chat, your expectation is it's live, right? Here, inherently, here, here comes the person that we're going to type back and forth to each other. If you get to the end of that and that person isn't there, you know, we would recommend you channel switch them rather than have them fill out a form or sit forever. And form is just a, filling out a form is just a channel switch in a way. Um, so it's tough. It's a tough one because you're still forcing a customer to do something maybe they didn't originally intend to do, but you want to make it so that both the technology and the experience sort of embody that this needs to be an asynchronous conversation right now due to situations beyond our control. Hmm. Interesting. I wonder for those listening who are, I mean, it sounds looking at, <clears throat> looking at the, con- at the, a lot of the comments, it sounds as though there's some people potentially who are, uh, familiar and are, are maybe even working within this kind of space. Um, and for those that are working on the contact center side though, like who, who, who have contact centers that, that, that they're trying to automate from your experience, what do you think is the proportion of calls that could potentially be automated? And the reason why I ask is because if someone's calling after five and it's closed, it's like, well, they can't get to an agent. But if that's only 10% of the calls because the rest can, can be automated, then that's cool. So like even out of hours, the percentage of calls that can be automated in terms of like out of a hundred calls, what do you reckon the percentage is in terms of where the likely automation is? I know Google have put some numbers out that's quite high, but from your experience, what, what do you reckon? Are you asking me or are you asking the audience? I'm asking you and the audience. That's a good shout. Yeah. I'll ask the audience. What, what numbers have you great, seen? That's the great thing about a listening pilot. I mean, you know, people that are marketing heavy and I remember even in the chatbot world will say, Hey, we're going to deflect, you know, 40 to 60% of your calls. We're going to deflect 80% of your calls. I mean, if you deflect 60% of calls, you're toppling the global labor market. It's that transformative. And I'm talking to brands that are doing hundred million voice calls a year. I mean, could you imagine uh, deflecting is actually saying with credibility that you're going to deflect 80% of that volume. Uh, they can't even change their, their spend level to handle that forecast. Um, <laughs> we think realistically, again, remember when I talked about sort of that, that current, you know, my hypothesis is that somewhere what we're seeing is somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 15% of customers are never going to want to automate. They're just always going to want to talk to a human. So you're not going after them. So now that leaves you, let's say 85%. What we're seeing is that on the low end, 10 to 20% of calls, right? 10, 20 is, is a fair estimate. But again, you're going to learn when you deploy a technology like ours, and it's going to be a curve that, that goes in the direction that you want it to go because the more people use it, the more interactions that you have, the more things you can automate. And we want to put the control in to pick off the right issues because when you're doing 100 million calls a year, if you actually provide 10% improvement on an existing IVR, and it's not containment, it's not where we're counting hangups as as success, but it's actually solving customer issues. That's ten percent that is transformative. Um, but people that don't know this world, uh, you know, or haven't been in it long enough, like Google's never going to say, "Yeah, we're going to deflect ten percent of your calls." But a practitioner is going to go, "Really?" You, like they're almost going to have a hard time believing that. I mean, we already have IDR automation. We already have containment. Um, you know, our website has hundred million visitors. We only have 10 million calls this day. Look at all that we've contained with just the web web page, right? Which is kind of faulty math, right? So. Um, when you actually can have insight into the call drivers, 
in a true way and unlock those insights, present them quickly. Expediency is always the key. And then build flows based on that. Yes, you're going to see. Um, so in that instance where a human isn't available, that curve is always getting better as far as what things we can automate. Um, and especially because that's why we're also trying to break down those silos and leverage what you have laying around contextually mm. to provide those answers. Mm. And th- those kind of volumes that, that a lot of contact centers experience, it's like on the, on the one hand, yeah, saving 10% is is huge. Uh, and, and then you're able to almost like shave a little bit off to then create more time for those people that actually need help. Because at the moment, it's the same thing, you know, working in government, which is like, like if you have no automation at all, then there is people who are quite willing and quite able to self-serve that have yeah. to go through and speak to an actual person, which takes time away from the people that need to speak to an actual person because their stuff can't be automated. And then their experience is poor because they haven't wait and all that kind of stuff. And because we're connecting the dots to human side agent, your whole support intelligence is getting better. You know, AI agnostic, you know, your delivery model for support is improving across the mm. breadth of everything that you're doing. Yeah. Um, and that, that's what we want to do. So you continue to learn what else can we automate? What else can we automate? What else are the customers willing to have us automate? Yeah. Yeah. And even though it can be automated, you're still gathering that, that intent. You're still being able to provide the agent with enough information for them to reduce their call time. So rather than a call taking five minutes, because the first two and a half minutes is me trying to figure out what your situation is, exactly. you can gather that info, send it on, reduce those call times. And so it's, there's no... Or you got to me and I'm an expert in your new um, you know, router that was installed, that you self-installed. You did a self-install kit, ironically, and still had to call us. I'm an expert in that router. And because I knew who you were, you got to me. I, I'm ready to talk to you about this router. I have the article pulled up. I'm ready to rock and roll. And I don't need to go, oh, you meant that router? I got to transfer. Right? That transfer costs time and money too, right? So sometimes even that is a win, right? You didn't yeah. automate that necessarily, but you got it to the right place at the right time with some automation helping that agent. And you're good to go. Yeah. Wicked. I think the potential for this is absolutely huge. And it's like, it, it feels as though what we've tried to do with VUX World, you know, on, on the services side, on the product, on the media side is to try and bring attention to areas of voice technology, conversational AI, which is really important but doesn't seem to be getting as much attention as it, as it could do so we did you know last year we spent a lot of time talking about sonic branding the importance of how you sound as a brand because in these audio first channels audio is all you have and i think one of the biggest opportunities for every organization that has any inbound customer contact 99 percent of them have a contact center and the opportunities with using conversational ai to to automate uh transactions and, and, and services through the contact center are absolutely unbelievable and for technology like speakeasy being able to reuse what you've already got you know reuse the bots that you've already got reuse the or, or keep the current ivr system that you already have but then essentially extract more value out of your investments yeah. is absolutely it's my for me it's i don't even i don't even work in in contacts i don't i don't run a contact center and for me it's mind-blowing you know it's unbelievable cool so thank you everyone for joining thank you uh the discussion's been wicked on linkedin it's been it's been absolutely going crazy i can't even keep up this is why we need dustin we need two of us here so that we can yeah. we can, we can <laughs> actually uh, yeah we can handle this but, uh, well, but no. we can always do a part two. Maybe there's something that comes out of the feedback that we can do another one. And listen, I'd love to bring, cause I get tired of hearing myself talk. Uh, <laughs> someone actually does this, you know, I'd love to bring a practitioner 
I'd love to bring, not even necessarily a client of ours. We just, I'm very lucky to know a lot of people who are in this space that can talk about, yeah, I actually had to do this. Mm. And here's the real use case. And not enough of that stuff is out there on these podcasts. It's usually vendors talking to analysts, talking to, we would love to bring up uh, someone who's actually in it. And I just shut up and get out of the way and, and we have them talk. So let, let's, let's see if there's a topic in there yeah, when, yeah. when we wrap and, and see if that can be the next sort of follow on from this. That would be cool. Let's do that. That sounds, that sounds really good. That I think getting, getting the voice of the, of the end user in this scenario, um, people who are actually implementing this stuff in, in contact centers would be really, really useful. Um, so yeah, thank you everyone for tuning in. Thank you, Frank, for joining us. And for those that are tuning in, it does seem as though we've got, we've got some people who are working in this space. If they want to kind of get involved with speak easy, try speak easy out, or, or if there's any people from the contact center side that, that want to kind of give it a whirl, what's the best place for them to, to reach out to you and to, to try speak easy. Yeah, well, I'm Frank at speakeasyai.com. Uh, our our marketing inbox is hello at speakeasyai.com. So it's pretty easy. And our website is speakeasyai.com. So you can find us any of those places. It's really, really easy to get in touch with us. Cool. Well, Frank, it's been an absolute pleasure. Part two has definitely lived up to the expectations of part one. I think this time we've got into uh, more detail and, and more specific in terms of focused on those people that need to hear this. I think the prior conversation was all about, you know, digging into the technology and helping those that are in the te- in the voice kind of community understand this, the, the speech to intent and stuff like that. But I think this one has been a lot more practical from the from the practitioner's perspective, from helping people understand what the actual value of this stuff is. And so really, really appreciate you. you having you on. Thanks for setting it up. I was, I was privileged and honored to be here and I, I hope everyone that came got something out of it for sure. Cool. And, uh, Thanks, we'll be back probably, uh, I don't know if we've got one scheduled next week. Uh, it may be next week. It may be the week after. Dustin will be back as well. And we'll definitely take you up on the offer of uh, of returning with, with a practitioner and we'll get it we'll, we'll do a part two, which will take it on a step, which will be discussing a live implementation, which might be quite interesting. Awesome. Very cool. cool. Thanks, Kane. Cheers. Cheers Until next time. See you See later.